I'm Douglas Brush, and you're listening to Cybersecurity Interviews. Cybersecurity Interviews is the weekly podcast dedicated to digging into the minds of the influencers, thought leaders, and individuals who shape the cybersecurity industry. I discover what motivates them, explore their journey in cybersecurity, and discuss where they think the industry is going. The show lets listeners learn from the experts' stories and hear their opinions on what works and doesn't in cybersecurity. Hello and welcome to episode 86 of Cybersecurity Interviews. In this episode, we're speaking with David Kennedy. Dave is the founder of Binary Defense and TrustedSec, both organizations focused on the betterment of the security industry. Dave also served as a board of director for the ISC2 organization. Dave is a former CISO for Diebold Corporation, where he ran the entire InfoSec program. He is also co-author of the book Metasploit, the Penetration Tester's Guide, the creator of the Social Engineering Toolkit, Artillery, Unicorn, Pentester's Framework, and several popular open-source tools. Dave was a co-founder of DerbyCon, a large-scale conference started in Louisville, Kentucky. Before the private sector, David was with the U.S. Marine Corps and deployed to Iraq twice for intelligence-related missions. Dave is frequently interviewed by news organizations including CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, CNBC, and BBC World News. He has testified in front of Congress on two occasions on the security around government websites. In this episode... We discuss the shift to virtual conferences, Zoom vulnerabilities, responsible vulnerability disclosure, the importance of communication skills, giving back to the community, mental health, working from home, and so much more. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Thanks for listening. All right, Dave, thanks for joining me in Cybersecurity Interviews. How are you today? I'm doing great. I appreciate you having me on. And uh, how how are you doing? How are you holding up in this uh COVID-19 area, uh, social isolation uh, world we live in today? Well, it's funny. You know, I I think, you know, we kind of uh, been been lucky enough, I would say, and it's part of a great community on the Trusted Sec uh, public Slack channel to talk to a lot of people. But you know, I was kind of lamenting the other day that it's, the, the weird change for me is having been on the road 50 to 60% of the time, most of the time, to being home this much is is a weird change. Um, it's a different routine yeah. to try to get into. And I kind of miss getting out there and doing speaking gigs and, and getting out there. Although I, I guess, you know, as, as we are with hackers, we kind of adapt and overcome. I think you just did a, a virtual one this past weekend, correct? I did, yeah, and I have to relate to that. My wife actually just said yesterday because we, we, you know, we, we've been making it a, an effort that uh, every day, you know, I'll either cook or she'll cook, and uh, I've been smoking a ton of meats. Uh, that's my my thing. So, um, and and we'll we'll have dinner, um, you know, every day, which which was kind of a, a unique thing for us because I was always in the road, you know, 60 percent of the time traveling, uh, and and since I've, I've, you know, since I've married Aaron, you know, this is going back, you know, fifteen years. Um, you know, I, I've always been on the road, whether I was in the military and the Marines, you know, d- deploying to various places for six months to a year, you know, in the Middle East. Um, or as soon as I got out of the military, I joined a consulting company. I was pretty much on the road, you know, all the time. So, you know, my, Aaron said, this is really nice, actually, uh, you're home all the time. And, uh, you know, we get to sit together as a family and kind of hang out as a family. So it's, it's been good. And I'll say that the, the shift towards um, virtual conferences has also been uh, pleasant as well. I, I really like um, this. And, and I have to say that, uh, you know, the Rapture and, and the guys that put on um, Altset uh, or um, Altcon VR or Alt, Altspace VR, sorry, um, the uh, InfoSec Oasis conference, you know, that was one of the first times since this whole thing started where I actually felt like I was actually at a conference with people. It was a, it was a whole online virtual reality thing where, you know, you're hanging out with people, you know, you know, Trent, Trent, you know, Serbo and, and the guy that used to always ice me all the time at DerbyCon, you know, we're sitting there hanging out and joking around with one another. You know, it was, it was really reminiscent of um, kind of that con vibe, but all online. And it's, 
it's really cool to still be able to keep up with everybody, share your research, share what you're doing, uh, and really still have an online community that, that, you know, we really lost because of all of this. And it's, it's still there. It's still breathing heavy. And it was, it was a ton of fun. I had a great time. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I know we're both slated to speak at uh, Wild West uh, Hacking Fest this year that I just uh, actually did a recording with John Strand yesterday. But, you know, it's hopefully that one will be live and we can all be in person. But, you know, again, it's 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 set up to be virtual as well, which yep. is an interesting thing. I mean, and you spent years planning, you know, DerbyCon and, and conferences and stuff. Was that ever anything that you guys had contemplated even before all this of, hey, how can we make it uh, a streaming event or something like that? We did. When we, when we ended DerbyCon uh, last year with DerbyCon 9, um, we, we created something called DerbyCon Communities, which would, you know, was a way for people to essentially start their own DerbyCons and have fun, you know, with, with, with DerbyCon. There's been a number of them that, that have sprawled up, you know, kind of all over the world. And, you know, our, our goal uh, was going to be to create uh, an online DerbyCon that met, you know, more of a community hangout that would meet once a month or once a quarter just to reminisce and, and talk to folks, maybe have a presentation or two. Never, never to the extent of a, an online conference. I think, uh, you know, running a massive conference for nine years has kind of burned us out in running conferences, but just a, you know, a get together where we can all kind of share experiences, you know, one person or two people can, can present and share their, their, you know, their research or things that they're working on or something that they learned that was new um, and keep that, keep that community vibe going. But, but what's been really cool is, you know, straight, speaking of John, uh, you know, Black Hills, you know, for the, the uh, Wild West Hacking Fest in, in California was one of the first conferences uh, to pull out and, and convert theirs to an online uh, conference pretty much overnight. And, and I thought that was really responsible of, of John, you know, John called me up on the phone. He's like, Hey man, this stuff isn't looking good. You know, I, you know, I don't, I don't think we should go the route of RSA and still have people here. You know, what do you think I should do? And, and he was already, you know, just asking for my, my opinion. He was, you know, obviously making his own decisions and, and things like that on it. And, um, and, you know, I said, you know, listen, man, I, I, you know, the safety of the people, I probably wouldn't do it, unfortunately. And I know it really sucks. You know, if, if, if I was in the same boat and, and DerbyCon was going on during this period of time, I probably would try to convert it to an, to an online course um, to, to, you know, kind of help protect people. And, and lo and behold, I mean, he was spot on and right uh, in every aspect of thinking that way. You know, just, it's just one of those things where we, we kind of had to buckle down and, you know, use technology like, like many companies have of being able to move and convert, um, you know, to work from homes and being able to have these conferences online. I'll tell you, um, John's team over there at Black Hills um, really knows how to manage and run conferences they were helping with the uh, the latest one with grimcon uh and, and and helping that set up and that was just such a seamless process and, and look at uh what Stu did um just this weekend for isolation con i mean you know we're getting really good at, at holding full-fledged conferences without really any hindrances or hiccups from a technology perspective and that's that's really incredible do you think that's going to be you know once we get past is something that continues at maybe not the same level or is this, you know, wh- what do we walk away from this? I know everybody keeps saying, well, are we going to go back to normal or is this, the new, this become the new normal? I, I think, I think largely, um, I think at first we will, we will definitely be very, very um, cautious to go back to normal, but I think eventually it will return to normal where you have in-person people, you know, the, the relationships that you develop with when you're in person, you know, the, the experiences you get to share when you're in person, getting to see people the, there's something to be said about, about human interaction and, and, and you do lose that, that physical, um, you know, perception of, of somebody there when, when you're on those types of calls uh, or meetings. But, but I will say that, that I think as a whole, you'll see definitely more virtual conferences working. And I think, I think it's, it's going to be a blend of half and half, you know, a lot of in-person conferences, again, when we're back to normal and this isn't a threat um, and, and in the virtual conferences, which, you know, anybody can, can really go to, uh, from an event perspective, uh, I think it's going to be kind of a combination of both. Yeah, and certainly I think, you know, we 
the technology continues to evolve. And, you know, one of the things both, I think you, I, I noticed you were commenting along the same uh, parallel lines of thinking about the whole Zoom thing recently, that there was this quick pylon of people saying, oh my God, I, you know, there's you know, very hyperbolic language. It's, it's the worst thing ever. It's malware. It's going to destroy the earth. It, whatever they can come up with in, in this most extreme language, um, in these kind of online forums and things. But, you know, I think you took a very pragmatic approach to saying, well, look, I mean, <laughs> nobody anticipated this. I think they're responding like, but can you maybe kind of walk through your thought process of how you started seeing these things happen and, and maybe why you responded you know, publicly in the ways that you had about Zoom and the way that they were addressing their security? Yeah, you know, it's not to say Zoom is, is perfect in any way. And, and you know, I, I look at the, the security research part of the information security industry as, as really the, the forward thinking, um, you know, where do we need to head? Are, are things that we're doing secure? It's, it's really the pulse on security for the whole world, in my opinion. Um, and, and the reason for that. Is you know you look at you look at what Durkian just recently did. Um, he just released a new tool. Um, I think it was called Roadhouse or something Road. Um, and and uh, I was I was watching this whole whole Twitch stream and in the amount of research that he did into you know the Azure infrastructure of being able to enumerate APIs and pull data back. And you know you look at you look at um, how companies have moved from kind of a hybrid model from an Azure perspective to you know they're they're, they're half in the cloud, half not, half in Azure, half not. And you know you look at, at what we do from a from a penetration testing, a red teaming perspective, and and our, 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 our tactics have really changed to, to leverage Azure's platform as a enumeration method, a way to brute force user accounts, a way to pull back you know, data sets directly from Active Directory. We have shifted, and that's, that's primarily due to research. And, and if we didn't have research, we'd be stuck in the same boat as we were 10 years ago of, of really having you know, inherently insecure designed uh, systems and, and holding companies accountable to addressing security exposures. You know, that's ultimately our job is, is to hold companies accountable for security to reduce the risk, you know, for the products that they sell and, and, and everything else. Now, what happened with Zoom was was very uniquely different. It, you know, you, you had security researchers that that were all at the same time investigating and researching Zoom. And, and I really do believe it. And I have a lot of respect for the researchers that did all the research on it. And I have a lot of respect for, um, you know, the individuals that, that released all this content. So this is not a knock on, on their personality mm -hmm. or any way, shape or form. But, but I think, you know, a lot of people got consumed by the media hype around this and the whole COVID-19 scare. And so what happened was, is you had, you know, Patrick Wardell and a bunch of other individuals releasing zero days directly on the internet in the context that this was like the most critical exposure that we've ever seen before in our entire lives. And that this product absolutely is terrible and you shouldn't use it. It's, you know, you hear terms, this is malware. And what happened is, is it, it created all of this mayhem for people that were, were using it to communicate to their families, to their loved ones, to churches, to you know first responders, to companies and corporations, and, and people were terrified of using it because the industry, I mean, the, the whole world recognizes the security industry as being the the authoritative source of what you go to when there are security issues. You know, I've been doing media, you know, the news for for 15 years. And, you know, I, I have absolutely had things taken out of context when I say things, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and it gets overhyped and it's, it's my job, you know, to to try to correct that, to correct the 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 editorial piece, to correct the news article, to get public in front of it. Um, and, and that's really what we have to focus on is that when we're we're talking about and let's let's just be clear. I mean, the, the vulnerabilities that were were, were, were were posed out there were local privilege escalation techniques and, and ones that required phishing URLs, which was mostly a UNC bypass or I mean UNC uh, share issue for um, uh, you know credential theft. That's more of a Windows problem. Granted, you could do execution on top of that. So luckily, Zoom fixed it within a day. Um, you know they were they were low to medium findings. They weren't critical 
you know, remote, you know, code executions, you know, there's, there's potentially one out right now uh, that's being sold in the zero day market. You know, they weren't critical remote code execution vulnerabilities that allow direct access to your computer, but yet it was, it was perceived that way to the media. The media doesn't know what a local privilege escalation is or that they're abusing a, a you know, deprecated API with an OSX. They don't, they don't understand that. And so what we came out with was, was insane. Now, don't get me wrong. Zoom has, has had its issues, but the way that they have responded, the way that they have addressed those security issues leads me to believe that they are they are absolutely a player in this space and absolutely taking security uh, from, from a, a, a conscious perspective to address it in, in their product. And every product has vulnerabilities. Every product has issues. You know, you look at the CVE counts, you know, WebEx and, 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 and um, you know, uh, Skype for Business have, have way more CVEs than Zoom. Now, granted, you could say WebEx has been out for a lot larger period of time. Um, but you, you look at that and you say, well, Zoom doesn't even have as many CVEs. How are people saying that this is malware in, in certain cases? You know, there were there were issues around uh, how um, uh, they were routing traffic. They, they clarified and showed how their architecture is designed. They have architecture diagrams and how they're preventing that. And it was an accident. You know, so, you know, the issues that, that you see coming from them, you know, all happened within a span of one to two weeks. And it really freaked everybody out. And, uh, you know, I, I remember I, I, I scheduled a, um, a Zoom meeting for, for my church and I probably had 20 or 30 emails Saying, are we going to, you know, get Zoom bombed, or is there going to be people, you know, hopping on our call that's going to, you know, you know, mess up the 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 message, you know, and here here's some tips on how to secure it to me, you know, I'm like, look, okay, I got it, I got it, I appreciate it, thank you so much for that, you know, the information back, we'll make sure it's protected, you know, it really scared everybody to to the point where it did so much irreparable brand damage that, you know, I mean, it's just it's just crazy, and it it was not warranted, it was not warranted. I was really disappointed in how that whole thing was handled. Yeah, and you know, I think particularly as folks move towards a you know, kind of decentralized remote working world. And that was happening, you know, at a certain tempo and cadence prior to this whole thing happening. And then we certainly saw a spike. But I mean, God, for the amount of RDP uh, intrusions I've investigated in the past five years, that still seems to be a big problem. And, you know, we saw an increase of, you know, some of the showdown reports of, you know, all of a sudden there was a 40 to 60% increase of open RDP ports. You know, it's, it's, it's it, what I find it frustrating is that it detracts a lot of the attention away from the areas that do need it the most because it's sensationalism. So is that news fault, the community's fault? Like, how do we, it's shared responsibility. Like where, where do you find that? And like, how do we take kind of a lessons learned approach from that and say, okay, the next time we have to adapt, where, where are some of the things that we can avoid pitfalls ourselves and publicly? Well, I think I think to your point, you're absolutely right that it detracts from from some of the key areas. You look at the Microsoft stat that came out, um, you know, the end of last year that you know the incident response team over Microsoft, 99% of the incidents that they investigated could have been prevented by multi-factor authentication. You know, like 99% could have been present, pr- pr- protected by multi-factor authentication. We're still talking about multi-factor authentication today, right? You know, it's, it's the basics that are really biting us, not some super you know crazy local privilege exploit that somebody already needs access to your computer in order to, to accomplish. And so, you know, I look at that as, you know, we have to be very careful on the messaging front. Um, but one thing that, that the, the, I guess the main disappointment in this, this whole thing um, was that we didn't follow responsible disclosure paths. And, 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 and it's coming from me who has been red team my entire life, you know, has dropped zero days before my past in my early years, has released exploits and code. Um, and I just did one recently for the, the Citrus and Escalator side. You know, granted, there's already a, a public POC out there. So I did it to, to protect people. There has to be a way to responsibly disclose things to organizations. Now, if, if, if somebody, you know, published something to zoom and they didn't fix it, or they said they weren't going to address it, or they're just dragging their feet. I understand the need to hold that company accountable in order to address those exposures because it can put other people at risk. 
but responsible disclosure has to be a, a very big pinnacle around if it causes direct harm. Now that that's a whole can of worms because now you start looking at, well, what about offensive security tooling? I have written a number of exploitation frameworks like Magic Unicorn, Social Engineer Toolkit, um, you know, the Pentesters framework, uh, you know, quite a few tools. And, you know, to me, um, when you're when you're giving tooling to people to be able to test their environments, I don't see that as necessarily a responsible disclosure. Now, I was taking advantage of of a specific exploit, um, you know, that that hadn't been published. That's a different story. But we have to focus on responsible disclosure first, analysis afterwards, and also be really careful of how we communicate to the media. I will say that when you're talking to um, the, the general uh, uh, commodity uh, news organizations like CNN or Fox or CNBC or MSNBC, they don't typically have dedicated technical people um, that understand this type of stuff. Then you look at you know companies like TechCrunch or Wired, you know like Lily over at Wired, you know is, is phenomenal at doing your homework and researching the ins and outs. So she'll provide multiple perspectives. So it also has to deal with the people that we work with and interface with um, that become really important from a news organization. There's there's only a handful of 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 people in the news that I implicitly trust to get my message right, and and I can I can send them small blurbs. And they'll take that context and they'll put it into, you know, a story that, that makes sense versus if I'm dealing with like a CNN or a Fox or a CNBC or MSNBC, I'll, I'll, I'll sit there and I'll explain my rationality 10 times more than I would have to with somebody that actually understands the message I'm trying to communicate. So our, our messaging has to be really important. And then when something like this happens, we have to get in front of it as an industry and say, listen, you know, this isn't necessarily accurate and here's the risks and exposures. And that's really what, you know, Amit Serper um, you know, uh, uh, myself and, and, um, and, and what we're trying to get um, all, all together, put together with everybody, uh, with Russ, uh, we were trying to, t- trying to get this whole message put together around, listen, it's not that bad. It's not something you really have to be um, concerned with. Yes, you know, it, there could be something catastrophic that comes out for Zoom and we'll continue to monitor that. But as of right now, here are the issues. Here's the risk towards you and here's what we recommend. It really came from three people that understood the technical prowess of, of what was actually occurring there. Yeah, and I think um, it's funny, you know, I, I got lucky growing up, My uh, both my parents were in the media. So as I started doing my own companies and getting quoted in papers, I was I kind of had my own personal media coaches. But um, it, it's, it's really interesting to see things that you had to really think almost with that hacker mentality of like, how is this going to be taken? How do I kind of social engineer this in the way that the message gets out right? Because I could very easily see it being twisted. Um, but I think, you know, you obviously have good communication skills. I was fortunate enough to go. One of the things that I've seen within the industry too is is the challenge a lot of folks have within our industry that it can be some of the brightest people I've ever met. I mean, obviously, like they're just insanely great at decompiling things and doing all this text stuff, but can't communicate themselves out of a paper bag. Um, you know, where where do you try to, you know, as a business owner and, and working with teams, how do you try to coach people through that to say, you know, here are the things that's great that you can do all this stuff. How do you get into five bullet points in white space that an executive can understand it? Yeah. And that's, you know, communication for me was, I got really fortunate um, coming out of the military. So I was in the, the signals intelligence space and, um, and I did mostly like reverse engineering, code breaking, uh, signal breaking, and then forensics were kind of my, my main areas when I was inside of there. And when I got out, I was, I was very technical, right? I, all I could see was the, the code in front of me. And, you know, I, I, I went into the penetration testing side and I just excelled very well in that because I had a very technical background. Um, but there was a, an individual that I worked with. His name was his Scott. His name was Scott Angelo. And, and I credit him to not my technical career because, you know, I, I feel like that was kind of where I homed into. I, I look at Scott as as 
my success in the rest of my life, being a business owner, being a CISO, because what Scott did is, is Scott mentored me to, to, to teach me how to communicate my heavily technical things. It's this, I consider it a bridge. Um, you know, how do you, how do you create a bridge between this data over here that you've analyzed and you have your own conclusions to, to be able to have the other person that doesn't know what you did, understand it. And and Scott really spent a lot of time with me uh, when I first went to Diebold. Um, you know, I, I came in as a, a regional security officer and eventually got promoted to their chief security officer. Scott was the, the chief information officer. And, and Scott, you know, would work with me on, on when I had to present to the board. And, you know, I, I took I took some liberties. Um, I had my own little swag that I used to do. You know, I used to go in there and kind of blow their minds with some stuff that they wouldn't necessarily understand just just to know that they knew I knew that they knew that I knew what I was talking about. Then I'd get to the stuff that they would actually understand. But, you know, um, what, what I really learned from 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 Scott was, you know, when you're when you're communicating to somebody, you, you have to be able to bring it in into a perspective of either you're a you're talking to the masses that have never picked up a computer before in, 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 in the past. And so the beginning of your statement should be a disclosure statement around, you know, a high level summary and then back it up with all of your technical data um, to be able to support that to to help communicate what your message is throughout everything that's going on. And, and that has really helped me out a lot, which is, which is really trying to get in the mind of the person or the people that I'm trying to communicate to. Is it, is it a board member? Is it, uh, you know, a CIO? Is it, you know, somebody else that's technical? If somebody else is technical, I can just geek out all day with, with technical stuff and show how awesome, you know, this, this research is. But at the end of the day, you know, you, you have to take yourself out and, and it requires some, some coaching to, to do that. You know, you, you want to have somebody, you know, a mentor or somebody that is not technical look at your stuff and say, do you understand this? And you start to really build um, the way to communicate that way. Uh, a really, really quick, funny story. Well, not funny story, but uh, I was going through a, a really bad part of my health uh, about two years ago. Uh, I, was, I was basically having like Richter 10 scale migraines every single day for about six months. And, uh, you know, with auras and everything. And I, I literally would go into work for about a half hour and then I would just go home and I would sleep. And um, it was it was probably some of the worst times ever. And it turned out to be a, a major jaw issue that was, you know, basically jacking up my, my nerve going to my brain. And, and, but it took six months to figure out what the problem was. And so during this period of time, I was going for, for what are called infusions where they essentially like numb my brain. And, and I'd go through, to, through two or three infusions a week, just basically shutting my brain down to where I couldn't think it was, it was really bad time. Oh, in my life. Awful. Yeah. Yeah. Horrible. And they put me on this, this medicine, um, that, that was supposed to help, uh, uh stop the signals of the migraines going to my head. And I remember this, this distinctly, I went on PBS uh, and and it was a talk. I can't remember what I was talking about. It I was it's such a, that that six months of my life was a complete blur. But I was talking about something. I think it had to do with like China or or whatever. And um and this medicine removed my ability to to communicate technical things and turn it into a, a way that everybody can understand. And if I tried doing it, I would go into a loop over and over and over again, and I didn't recognize I was doing it. So oh, wow. I talk about a subject, and then I'd repeat the same thing again. Man, the amount of hate mail I got from from PBS uh, 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 viewers that day, like they're emailing, you know, trust tech, like your CEO doesn't know how to speak. He sucks. You know, I was I was mortified. So I didn't do any news media, you know, after that. But you know, you, you, that that part of your brain, you know, it, 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 you have to work it out. You have to to massage that part of your brain because it's a part that a lot of people don't have a lot of experience doing. They go over there, they drop all this technical stuff, and no one knows how to actually use it. And and, and a great example, I'm at a red team engagement right now. 
And uh, uh, this is actually a funny story. And so, you know, we, we started the engagement on, on, on Monday and we already have full access to everything on Tuesday. Okay. So it's like one day full access from the outside. It was, it was incredible. Like it was, it was one of those rare engagements that you get where you just get everything from the, you know, like, like literally it's just an opportunity presented. We got access and everything. And, you know, when we hopped on the phone with our point of contact, you know, you're waiting for that, that realization where that this individual just, you know, just is like, oh man, I can't believe this happened. That, you know, cause that, that's the, the rewarding factor because, you know, you're doing a good job. You're able to show it. And, you know, if you don't communicate that right, if you just start going into your technical nitty gritty details, that person's going to be like, oh, well, that sounds bad. I must must need to fix it. But when you put it in perspective and you, t- you communicate what actually occurred and what we can do, and then the light clicks in their heads are like, wow, I, wow, we need to fix this immediately. I'm, I, can you get on a call right now? Can you hop on? I mean, you know, it, it, it makes the world of difference of how you communicate something uh, when you know how to communicate to another person. And you have to be able to read their body language. You have to be able to understand who they are if, they, if they're getting your cues. All that stuff becomes really important, things that you, you need to flex your muscle on and your brain muscle and build that, that capability off of it. What's well, funny you mentioned, I mean, it's a similar but but different kind of story where I had two of my pen testers after about two days. It's just like, we got a problem, we can't get in. I'm like, okay, like, what, what, do, we, what do we tell the client? I was like, that is security. Like we had to, I had to coach them through and say, this is good. Like you've tried everything. And I go, by the way, I didn't tell you this, but they just completed their ISO 27,001 certification last week. So everything's brand new. Like you were not getting in. I knew this and you validated some things for the client. And they were like, but we couldn't like, what do we tell him? We spent all this time and we couldn't break anything. I'm like, that's what he wants to hear. That's not from your perspective. You have to understand your audience. And I think that's one of the things I've always challenged with both on forensic folks, um, compliance, everybody's just like, put yourself in the mindset of your audience and how do they want to hear it? And I think that's one of the challenges I've had with staff and people is getting them to understand that perspective, not from their own. You're absolutely right. And, and, you know, it's all about how you communicate a message. You know, no one, no, no assessor wants to go into an engagement without any findings, right? Our whole goal is to find findings. Yeah. But, but when you don't have findings, you didn't break in, that's a good story to tell. I mean, and, and you should express your frustrations with that, right? Man, we try to break into you and I'm so frustrated that we couldn't do it. You know, we did this, we did that, you know, we did this, we, we focused on this. And, and ultimately we were not able to, to compromise your infrastructure. That is a great message. That means you're doing the things, you're validating the things that 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 this individual had 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 in mind, and and, and understanding those objectives is, is important too going into the assessment. So, you know, it, it really is how you communicate the message versus, hey, there's no finding, sorry, we couldn't break in. You know, good luck. Yeah, you know, it, it's really kind of going back to, you know, how we communicate and how we. I think a, a lot of the ecosystem, obviously, is we we've built ourselves around cons and. You know, you've been very active in giving back, you know, certainly you have your public persona, but then there's a huge, and I was talking to John Strand about this too, it's like, you know, the giving back aspect of the community. What drove you to do things like social engineering toolkit, uh, Derby Con, assist with all these other cons, as opposed to saying, look, you know, I I can be the world's greatest hacker and I don't have to talk about anything or, or give back. Like, what do you, what drove you to do that? I think it comes down to a more of a, more of a philosophical um, perception of the world for me. Uh, and, and I'll get, uh, this might get a little bit deep. So I apologize if I get too deep here, but I was, when I was, when I was in Iraq, um, there was a, a time where it was, it was during the major insurgency time. So I was there during the initial invasion um, of Iraq uh, during those pieces, during the, the, the overthrow of, you know, during our um, operation Iraqi freedom. But then, you know, I came back, you know, my, my duty station was Hawaii, which was an amazing duty station, by the way. Um, and uh, my duty station was Hawaii, and then I, I deployed again for almost a year. 
um, into um, Aramadi and Fallujah, which is known as the Sunni Triangle Death, which is, you know, really, really tough time, especially during the, 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 the peaks of the insurgencies during 2003 and 2004, uh, before we did the, the um, Fallujah uh, raids. And, um, you, know, I, you know, I was always, always respectful. I always, you know, worked with people. I always enjoyed that. But um, there was a convoy that I was going on uh, and I was I was attached to an army unit at the time. I was in the Marines, but I had to take a, an army unit um, to go from um, uh, it's called Camp Blue Diamond at the time. And then I had, a, I had a convoy to Junction City, which is right across the way. And then I had to go from Junction City all the way over to uh, Habania, which was a, a, a we call we call a FOB, a forward operating base um, in those areas. And uh, when I was convoying from Junction City to uh, um uh, to, to Habania, uh, our convoy got hit by, um, you know, an, an ambush and IEDs. And I was in the back of a, a car, um, a, a Humvee, um, that was kind of like a, had like a, I don't know, like a back casing on it that wasn't enclosed or anything. So it was, I was just basically wide out in the open. And, uh, I, you know, I remember looking up at the sky at that time and just saying, Hey, you know, God, if you're there, uh, if I make it through this, I'm going to live every single day of my life. Like it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's not, it's not given, uh, it's, it's earned. And, uh, and so after that day, I, I really had a different perspective on life and, and how, uh, I view things. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm in a very fortunate position of running two companies. Um, you know, my, my whole goal with, with DerbyCon, with, uh, you know, what I do for charity, what I do to help other people. It's not for, for recognition for myself. It, it's, it's truly to help other people uh, in, in, in different situations or different parts in their life or different parts of their career, whether it's new or old, you know, to have an opportunity to experience, you know, things. And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, when I did Derby kind of some of the, the, the happiest times of my life, you know, it was, it was such an incredible experience just seeing people believe, you know, that, that you could have a community of people that just want to help and just want to, make the world a better place. And, 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 you know, every year we raise more money than, than black hat and DEF CON combined for charities. And, you know, just this, this amazing thing that, that happened. And, and it's a testament to, to the security community. There's the industry and there's the community. And if you, you know, test to, 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 you know, the tribe of hackers, you know, the, the, the tribe um, concept, you know, there's, there's so many different tribes that make up the information security community. And the fact that, that we were able to come together uh, to help others is just, you know, with similar beliefs of, of helping others uh, is just is absolutely incredible. So, so for me, it, it's, it's built into my DNA now um, of, of wanting to help others, uh, wanting to, to make the world a better place. Um, I do it in, in life. You know, I'm not, I don't hide how my life works. It's it, my life is, is very much the same, you know, it, what's on public than what is, you know, at home uh, what's what I do at work. You know, you look at my companies and, you know, if somebody has a problem, we work with them to try to fix it. You know, we're compassionate, you know, it's all about people, uh, every single week, I send a, a weekly email out just saying, hey, you know, this is how we're doing. You know, you know, I know you all are concerned, you know, during these periods of time, but there's one thing that you don't have to be concerned with, and that is your job. You know, everybody's job is 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 perfectly fine. You're safe. You know, focus on your family. Make sure you're taking breaks. You know, we, we do that every single week. I remind everybody that that you don't have to worry about your job because that's the last thing I want people to, to have to worry about. It's really about people. And, and for me, helping out people is 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 really what I guess my my mission in life has become. Yeah, it, you know, it's one of the things I found interesting too. Is kind of a, in, an aside to that is certainly, um, you know, I, I talked to John about this recently you know, on, on his recording. But you know, there's we're all going through some pretty tough times right now. You know, weather adjusting to isolation, everything's like uh, things like that. Job losses is that there's a underpinning of, of you know certainly the mental health issues that kind of come with what we do. You know, I find that there's a is a 
you know, with people that are incredibly driven, the way that our brains fire, it has, it has a side effect that can hurt you, not hurt you, but you know, you have some impacts on it emotionally that we are not taught the coping skills for. And almost, um, you know, the folks that are highly technical are taught to just, just deal through it, you know, tough it out. And it's, it might not be the right messaging, but how have you started to try to bring up things about how we think and how we feel um, as professionals and talk about it? I could say, you know, from a, from a company perspective, um, we really try to, to, you know, communicate, overly communicate on, on everything that we're doing, uh, whether it's a decision to, to do something different or, you know, um, we, we, we still gave, you know, and, and, and I, I feel bad about this, but I feel good that I'm in this position to be able to do it. You know, we still handed out raises and bonuses this year um, to all of our employees, uh, which is that we're in a very fortunate situation to be able to do that. And, 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 I, and I, I really feel for those folks that are, are struggling right now. And, and I know many of my friends are furloughed. You know, I feel guilty for, for that type of stuff. And so we're, we're going overboard on charities and, and really trying to help people out. But one thing that, that you know, we, we do um, is we hold weekly um, happy hours. You could bring, you know, water, a coffee or a beer, you know, uh, once a week to, to four o'clock. We do uh, lunches, you know, twice a week uh, where we're all, all talking to each other. Um, but we've also built, you know, in, in, inside the company, a very um, uh, big level of trust that, you know, if you're struggling with something, you you need to let us know. And this actually happened before, um, before this this whole pandemic hit. You know, we we send surveys out every quarter, uh, completely anonymous surveys uh, to to our entire population of, of employees, to ask them, you know, how do you feel about the direction of the company? How do you feel about your work life balance? You know, is there things that we can improve on? What is what is what is the top three things that you would change? And, and all those go into, you know, action items that we address and we change based on the feedback that we get to. And what was interesting is, you know, like we had one statistic where it was it was, it was uh, we had a 98 or 98 or 99 percent. There was one person that was burning out and that wasn't happy. And, you know, I, 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 I hate seeing that. So, I got, you know, I got on all hands and I'm like, listen, I don't know who this person is, but I, I want to let you know that that I will listen to you. Uh, and, and, and what we can do to help you get better, uh, because you're obviously struggling, you know, in a number of ways and, 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 and whatever we can do to, to accommodate you to make it, make it better. Or, or if there's ways that we can help, you know, manage your time or any time off, whatever you need, just, just, you know, reach out. And, you know, I had a great conversation with that person, um, you know, afterwards and, and, you know, you talk to, and I, and I follow up with them every couple of weeks just to, just to let them know, you know, Hey, you know, you know, how you feeling, you know, what's going on, you know, is there anything I can do for you? You know, it, it really comes down to, to, to people and managing people's things. Everybody deals with stress on a different level. You have no idea what's going on in a person's life, whether they're furloughed or they, you know, they're, one of their relatives died or they're, they're having problems at home. You know, everybody has individual stressors that, that make life difficult um, in, in certain patches of their, of their, of their life. And it really, you, know, you have to, you have to be able to really look at those cues and, and really help people out. Uh, I think what, um, you know, the, the meetups that have been going on lately, you know, I, I saw it was Alyssa, um, you know, it, it started the, the whole, um, you know, Glamour Friday where you dress up and, and you know, that, that's so cool. I mean, you know, just getting getting together with your friends and dressing up because you have nowhere else to dress up to, you know, just there's things that we can do to, to keep us occupied during these these difficult times, I think is, is really important. And recognizing that, you know, from a mental health perspective, you know, you you, you have to do what's best for you and you have to be healthy. And, and, and we just had a... Um, company meeting last week um, over at Trusted Tech. And, you know, we had uh, Kim who runs our HR, our, our HR division over at Trusted Tech um, give a whole, um, you know, 15, 20 minute um, ordeal around how, how to recognize burnout and fatigue, how to recognize uh, stress, uh, what you can do, you know, uh, ways that you can uh, uh, minimize stress, you know, making sure that you take time, you know, you have to have a, a direct time where you cut off work, you know, you shouldn't always be working. 
you know, you, you have to let people know that you have to continuously reinforce that because mental health is, is a, is a major problem, especially during times like this. It's, it's one of the worst. Yeah. And you know, when we get, you know, quote unquote, back to normal, it's certainly something I, I would hope that people continue to address, you know, and, uh, like I always said, like people always said, well, you know, you're very altruistic, you know, as far as a manager and boss, I'm like, yes, do it. You know, certainly I, I care about people because I want to see them come back at their full capacity. Um, I know how hard it is to hire people in this industry, train and retain them. I don't want to see people burned out. I, I, there's a little bit of a capitalist streak that falls with me in that too. And I think it behooves us, uh, for folks that are in any kind of leadership position to, to kind of look for that because, it's not easy finding people. And the last thing you want to do is see somebody burnt out and you see it at the tail end. Um, work product suffers. Clients are unhappy. I personally hate rewriting reports that somebody should have done three times prior. Um, you know, it's it's just being able to have an open conversation about to say, hey, look, you know, if you were saying, I had a cold, I, I got to stay home today. I would say, look, if I'm anxious, I just can't focus. Fine. Stay home. Like it, it, we have to, I think, build that ability for folks to kind of come forward with it. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, a testament to, and this is just talking about how you run a place on culture, you know, we're in the consulting business and consulting um, has a very high um, loss rate because you have a lot of, you know, consultants that jump to other consulting divisions for more money and things like that. We have not lost a single consultant in two years. And and that is, that is insane, you know, to think about because, you know, when, when you look at, I mean, everybody in the company is comfortable talking to me and everybody in the company knows what's going on on a day-to-day basis in the company because we over-communicate everything that's happening, whether it's going into a different thing like training or, you know, uh, whether we make a big decision around how we're going to do something different. You know, everybody is, is aware of everything that happens. And, and that's not easy to do. Over-communicating is not easy to do because, you know, people, you know, get, get concerned with, you know, Hey, we're making this decision. We're making this decision. But then when they find out about the decisions, they don't understand the rationality of why you made the decision in the first place. And all these misnomers start to come in place. So, so you need to get in front of it and you need to, to, to really help people understand why you're making decisions. It goes back to our conversation before around making people understand our technical research and how we're doing things. Communication um, is so, so much important when it comes to how we're addressing mental health, how we're addressing our people, building a culture off of people, um, all of those things when you're when you're talking about communication really comes down to taking the time. We're all busy. Um, you know, I have meetings upon meetings. I'm on a red team engagement this week. You know, all the stuff happening time, but I, but I still take time out of my day to make sure that I reach out to people. I communicate to people. You know, I I, I randomly just reach out to folks and say, hey, just checking up, seeing how you're doing. I haven't talked to you in a couple of weeks. You know, how how are things going? You know, that that means the the way of the world to to individuals um, and people because we're all people. We all want to be recognized. We all want to you know, know that, that somebody is looking out for me, um, or others, that is, that is really what we're about. And, uh, you know, mental health is, is very much the same way being able to recognize that, you know, somebody's struggling or somebody is overloaded or, you know, somebody's going through a difficult time, you know, that can make the world of difference to somebody, um, as they go through, uh, and, and, and kind of cope with those different mechanisms. And, and it's really for us to, to be there to help them out. Yeah. You know, certainly, uh, uh, shifting gears a little bit, you know, as, as we look, as we're coming out of this, um, and, and we all start trying to, again, I always look at this from like an IR engagement of slowly bringing systems back online so you prevent reinfection. Um, but as we kind of bring our systems back online uh, on, a, on a national level and we start getting back into things, um, what are some of the things that, you know, kind of forward looking um, and not necessarily related to this pandemic because we've seen a lot of IT infrastructure change, so maybe a little bit, but what are some of the things, you know, towards the next couple of years of areas of security that, either concern you, you want to see growth in, or things that should be on people's radar as far as information security in general, um, organizationally. 
Well, one thing I want to say about the whole pandemic is I really hope companies um, adopt more work from home strategies. I, I really don't uh, see the need to be at a desk and, and all those other things. I think it should be more of an optional piece, especially moving forward. And, and I've always felt that way. We, we never required anybody to be, um, you know, at the office. People just want to come in the office if they want to come in the office. I think uh, this, this has definitely proven that, that, hey, you can still conduct business uh, at home and still be effective, you know, just as effective, if not more effective, um, you know, uh, at their, and again, people learn differently. So some people may be more, more, more effective at home. I have one of my folks, Chris, you know, that, that um, is, is in our sales uh, side and he works much better when he's, you know, kind of away from the house and works more better, you know, better when he's at the office and, and just the interaction with people. Uh, whereas, you know, for me, you know, I prefer to be at the office just because I get to see everybody, you know, from an individual perspective, not that I'm more effective. I think I'm more effective being at home. Um, so I think, I think, you know, work from home will be become more of a common thing um, as, as we move along. And I think that's, a, that's important. You know, uh, one of my biggest uh, uh, fears from a, from a security perspective right now uh, is, is, you know, and I talked about this in my talk um, at, at Isolation Con, uh, which is, you know, the, the industry itself has, has come a very long way uh, from, from 10 years ago. Okay. Um, 10 years ago, we would go into an organization or company, we just destroy them. We'd, you know, find, you know, MSO 8067, or we'd find, you know, a, a weak SQL password or Apache Tomcat instance or SQL injection. You know, we find all these vulnerabilities and flaws and we'd present the findings to a customer and the customer would be like, okay, cool. I'm going to go fix the SQL injection. I'm going to fix MSO 8067. I'm going to fix this Tomcat issue. And then I'm good. And the next year we go in and we just blow them up a different way because it had vulnerabilities in different location. And, and it was a cyclical effect of, of not getting better um, in security. And, and really what happened is, you know, um, the, the perspective that, you know, we're never going to have a perfect vulnerability management system. Uh, we're never going to have a, a perfect way of, of, of addressing or stopping all vulnerabilities, especially as we go in more into hybrid models with cloud infrastructure, BYOD, everything else. And, and, and let's focus, you know, still on, on vulnerability management. We want to we make it hard for them. But let's focus on what happens after an attack or compromises an organization and really trying to minimize the dwell time that we have in, in a company. And so, you know, you, you look at you look at how how companies are starting to address that in, in monitoring detection programs are thriving. You know, you look at the threat hunting industry, which I'm, I'm a huge fan of. And the whole concept is, is that can we detect an attacker through multiple phases of the attack? So if we don't identify them during initial access, what happens when they start doing privilege escalation, lateral movement, post exploitation scenarios? Um, and things like that. And so what, what's happened over the past 10 years is that, you know, we, we have broken out things like MITRE attack framework or the Lockheed Martin cyber kill chain. And we, we look at the different phases of an attack and we say, well, what's our coverages in these areas? Now, that's a great thing. And that's, that's a lot better than it ever has been before. But the problem that we run into now is that, you know, we've really become signature based antivirus for techniques, you know, of, you know in, in 2020 versus, you know, signature based antivirus for executables in, in the 1990s. And, and the, the problem with that is that, you know, when you, when you have a, a primarily technology or a technique driven uh, program, it's, it's, it's very easy for an attacker to change, manipulate or modify those existing techniques to circumvent, um, you know, the, the, um, the detection criteria that you put in place. A, a great example um, is there was just a blog post uh, or not a blog post, a, a, a Twitter post uh, from, from Samir a couple of days ago. Um, and, uh, and, and, and basically what he was showing, uh, he's a security researcher over Elastic, and what he was showing is that a lot of EDR products or, or you know, detections, they'll look for things like program files. Well, if you just throw in, you know, SQL and backslash program, and then you put a little tilde at the end of it, you know, you, you get around most of those detections because they're looking for program files. So, you know, it, it, it's the basics that, that are still, still really challenging to us. And my biggest concern in, in where we have to move to as an industry 
um, is focusing more on, on baselining environments. And it's, it's, it's not a new concept. You know, we've been talking about application control and application whitelisting for, you know, 15 years and trying to minimize the attack surface, you know, and, and what you have out there. But baselining our environment and looking for unusual activity in our environment um, that, that is, is abnormal, that is really where we have to move to. And that's really where I think threat hunting is, 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 you know, is at. And that's why threat hunting exists. But I know a lot of companies that aren't doing that. And so moving more towards behavior analytics um, in your environment, understanding behavior um, of, of how things are operating. Like, let's take a look at all PowerShell. Let's benchmark our PowerShell environment. Let's, you know, uh, reduce the noise from, from anything that's PowerShell. And then from there, look for deviations of that. That is really where, um, you know, we need to move to from, from an industry perspective versus kind of the techniques-driven approach. I'm not saying it, it can't be a combination of both. It, it absolutely should be. Um, you want to lower the, that bar or, or increase that bar for, for an attacker to compromise your organization, but it really has to be kind of that blended approach. So I think, you know, we'll start to see a lot of that over the next few years, um, you know, in focusing more on behavior and visibility and not just in um, our, our endpoints and not just in um, our server infrastructure, but also in the cloud. You know, the, the cloud from a visibility perspective is very, very challenging, especially when you start looking at doing Kubernetes and Docker containers and, you know, all these different areas here where we, we generally have a, a lack of, of general visibility. I mean, we get from customers all the time. How do I, you know, um, pop, pop, you know, pop my EDR agent on a, a Docker container? Well, you don't. And, you know, here's the things that you do around that um, to to help facilitate the, the same level or equal level of visibility that you did before in the past. So I think it's going to be more, more understanding um, of, of, of where we're at and, and kind of getting better with understanding our environments, which is going to be really, really important. Definitely. Well, Dave, thank you so much for taking the time today. Uh, we could probably go on for hours, but thank you uh, for the insight and I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on and appreciate all the listeners out there. Um, you know, uh, if you need anything else, just hit me up, hit me up in Hacking Dave and uh, happy to help answer any questions or anything you might have. But I, I appreciate you for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll be sure to put the uh, in the show notes where people can find you, uh, particularly the uh, the trusted sec, uh, Slack channel. I think that's that's been a great coping mechanism for a lot of us that are uh, not on the road seeing their friends. So I greatly absolutely. appreciate that. Anytime, right, anytime. Again. Take care. Doug. Thanks, man. Have a good one. Thank you so much for joining us today on Cybersecurity Interviews. I hope that you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Please go to cybersecurityinterviews.com where you can find every episode, including show notes and links for each guest. There you can also find social media links and to sign up for new episode notifications. Thanks. We'll talk soon.